Well, uh, let's turn a corner now and uh, turn toward uh, this series, part two of the series, Make It Real, a study of the book of James. And uh, let's begin with a question. Uh, what does it mean to be religious? And uh, when I say, oh, think of somebody in your life or somebody out there that's religious, like what, what comes to mind for you? Now, a bunch of us that are part of Ada Bible Church grew up uh, Catholic. So for you, maybe it's just like, well, the Pope, you know, because like who's more religious than the Pope? Uh, maybe for you, it's uh, a region of the world. You know, the Middle East has been in the news a lot lately, and that's a very religious place in the world. You think of uh, Orthodox Jews, you think of uh, uh, Muslims, uh, just a very uh, religious area in the world. Or, or maybe for you, it's like somebody actually in your life. You know, you've got an aunt who's just really religious or a neighbor, perhaps. Uh, and when I say religious neighbor, I know that some of us just go straight to this guy right here uh, because we grew up watching The Simpsons, right? So there you go, there's religious. Uh, how about this, are you religious? Would you consider yourself to be religious? And some of you would go, well, no, because uh, you know, you're, you're a skeptic, uh, meaning like you, you just have a lot of doubts about faith, you have a lot of doubts about religion. Uh, maybe you would say, no, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Or perhaps, I know many of us might word it this way, you know, for me, it's less about a religion and more about a relationship. Because as a Jesus follower, it's, just, it's all about that relationship with Jesus, and you kind of downplay this idea of religion. But the deal is, religion is not a bad word. In fact, to be religious, I mean, really all that means is just uh, how you express your faith, what, what your faith looks like. That's, that's what religion is. In the words of this series, when your faith, I mean, that's how you make it real. That's what religion is. Now, uh, the series that we're in right now, the book of James, James has something important to say to us regarding religion. So uh, this is week two of this uh, letter that James wrote to scattered believers, uh, believers who had been scattered by persecution. And uh, I mentioned last week that uh, the letter of James uh, just had a very significant role in my life during my teenage years when I was going through this process of really making faith my own, not just my family's, but my own. And uh, when I began to realize that God was calling me into ministry, one of the things I did is I memorized the entire book of James. That's how impactful the book had been in my spiritual journey. So, uh, you know, I wrote down every single verse on an index card like this, and I just took a lot of time trying to memorize these words. And now here's one of those verses that I wrote down all those years ago. Religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless as this. And then James goes on to explain what that is. But the idea seems to be there is an expression of faith that God goes, okay, that's it right there. That's what I'm looking for. And then there is an expression of faith that's like not that. And I think the idea that James is trying to get across is this, that when you have an encounter with Jesus, when you begin a relationship with Jesus, when you begin to walk with Jesus, that should change something in you. It's meant to transform you. And so what James is going to lead us to today is just how real religion ought to change your life. And so we're going to look at three things 
that real religion, uh, a relationship with Jesus, should change in our lives. And the first, uh, the first area that it should change is just this, how we talk. What you believe should have some kind of impact on the words that you use. And so let's jump in uh, to James' letter. We're in chapter one. This is uh, verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious, yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Very direct, very intense. I, I shared last week that to me, the book of James, kind of his tone is kind of like a spiritual gut punch. And that's part of what impacted me so much as a teenager, because these words are very direct. It's like, hey, if you don't control your words, you're kidding yourself and your religion is worthless. Whoa, I mean, that's, that's intense. So um, there's a phrase here. Uh, keep a tight rein on your tongue. It reminds me of something that I've said an awful lot in my life, maybe you've said before as well, and the phrase is, rein it in. You ever say this? It's like, you're out of control, rein it in. Now, I said this a lot because I was a youth pastor for 15 years, okay? And I worked with a lot of middle schoolers. Now, I love middle schoolers, okay? So if you're a middle schooler, just calm down. But here's the deal with middle schoolers, so much passion, so much excitement. They love everything that you're doing, but their prefrontal cortex is still developing. So like that part of thinking that's like, hmm, I wonder how this would impact my future self. That is just not there. Like it is not part of the equation. It's just, woo, exciting, okay? So um, I, I had an interesting conversation earlier this week with Luke Koskinen. So Luke is our director of Lifeline. He oversees our student ministry. It's a, it's a pretty significant job. For example, uh, he, uh, Luke and his team, they took just under a thousand students and leaders up to Spring Hill camps for snow camp earlier this month. I mean, that's a, that's a big operation. But Luke and I, we were kind of swapping stories of, of youth ministry days, just, just having some laughs. And I told him about a time that uh, here at the Cascade campus when I was a youth pastor where a middle school student took like all the coffee creamers that there are, like a couple hundred of them, and just flushed them down the toilet. And so afterward, we're like, why did you do that? And I think you already know what the answer was. I don't know. I mean, he did it. Because it's just, that's just, it's like, dude, rein it in. Get <laughs> control of yourself. Then Luke tells me about a time earlier this year when they served cupcakes at Lifeline, and, and one of the middle school boys confessed afterward that he had eaten 16 cupcakes. Do you know what would happen to me if I had 16 cupcakes? I mean, what kind of sugar orbit was this kid in? I just know that somewhere at one of our campuses, there are parents that are going, you know, that explains a lot. There was a night when we picked up Billy and he was crazy, and there you go, 16 cupcakes. But when you're a youth pastor, there are times you have to say, rein it in, get control of yourself. And this is kind of the idea that James is presenting around our words. And you know what? I think some of us, including myself, some of us uh, probably need to hear this. Because, uh, you know, we use phrases like, look, I, I'm just the kind of person who says what's on my mind. And you know what? Hey, I'm sorry. I just, you know, I don't have much of a filter. <laughs> Or, you know, here's one that we say all the time, like we say something, it's like, ah, I was only joking, and then we just kind of laugh it off. But I get the impression by the way that James words this, if you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, 
your religion is worth it. I don't think he's laughing about this. So the question is, okay, James, like, what's the big deal? Why are you so concerned about the things that we say? Well, James gives us an image, just a couple chapters later in his letter, an image that really helps us understand why words matter. He says, uh, this is three, chapter 3, verse 5, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. And the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. He gives us this image, a, a tiny spark that can set in motion a wildfire and unleash just unbelievable devastation. And he, he basically says, words can be like that. Words can unleash unbelievable devastation in a life, in a family. And you know, for me, it was fifth grade, end of the year party, all the kids were gathered together, all the parents were there, and my teacher was giving predictions on what each kid would grow up to be. And when it came to my turn, what she said was, when Aaron grows up, he's going to be a lazy boy sofa tester. Now, you can laugh. It's okay. It's okay. It's funny now. But in that moment, as a little fifth grader, this uh, teacher that I looked up to, that I respected, to, to hear words like that, to go, okay, so that's what she thinks about me. That's what she thinks about my uh, intelligence, about my potential. I got to tell you, it took a long time for me to believe that I was smart. And it took years before I believed that I could accomplish something in school. It took another teacher challenging me and helping me to see, no, I can do good work. Words can burn and they can devastate. So that's my story, but what about you? Whose words burned you? And the thing is, we've all got stories. Some of them are funny now. And some of them are so painful that we don't, we don't talk about words that were spoken to us because they unleashed devastation. They burned us. But you know what's worse than being burned by someone else's words? Is when you are the one who needed to rein it in. When you are the one who spoke reckless words, oh, I was just trying to be funny, but it doesn't matter because your words burned somebody. And to, to see tears in the eyes of someone that you love because you, you needed to rein it in and you didn't. Words can unleash incredible devastation. And so James warns us, you gotta keep a tight rein, rein it in. Now, it makes all the sense in the world that we need to be careful with our words because of the damage that words can do. But why does James connect our words with religion? Why does he say, look, if you don't do this, you're, you're kidding yourself, you're deceiving yourself, and your religion is worthless? What, I mean, what's the connection there? Okay, for us, our religion is following Jesus. I mean, that's, that's what our faith is all about. The, the goal is that through our connection with Jesus, over time we would become more and more like Jesus, and we would act like Jesus, and that we would talk like Jesus. 
And if you were to read through the biographies of Jesus' life, what we call the four gospels, first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you were to just read through them and you just watch how Jesus talks to people, what you would see is that Jesus speaks life. His words with people, they bring life, they bring hope. Jesus speaks life. And if the whole goal of our faith is that we would look and sound like Jesus, when we speak words that burn, that bring death, I mean, it is, it's the opposite of Jesus. We are not reflecting who he is. And so I think that's why James connects our words with our religious expression, with our faith expression. Now, I know right about now, some of us are just going, okay, yeah, I, uh, yeah, guilty, right? Myself included. There are times when I'm reckless, I'm not careful, I need to rein it in. So, so how can we grow in this area? If our faith should lead to change in our words, how can we grow in this area? Well, James gives us just incredible advice uh, back in chapter 1, uh, verse 19, when he says this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Three powerful phrases, slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry. Let's just, let's just put them on the screen. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. What would happen in your life if you got better at this? I mean, how would this impact your, your family, your, your marriage, your workplace? I mean, back in the day, I memorized every verse of James, wrote them all down in a card, and I don't know that you need to do that, but what if you wrote this verse down? And what if you put it someplace where you're going to see it on a regular basis? What if you internalized it? What if it became your mantra? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. How might that grow your ability to, to rein in your words so that you can speak more life? like Jesus did, and less death, less burning. So the idea is that real religion, a connection with Jesus, it should change some things. It should change how we talk to people, but it should change more than that, according to James. It should also impact and change how we treat people. So the second challenge here is uh, real religion changes who we care about. So uh, back to the book of James, he says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. You want to talk about real religion, the kind of faith that God goes, that's it. That is what I'm after right there. James says, take care of orphans and widows. Look after them. Okay, in the ancient world, orphans and widows were incredibly vulnerable people. I mean, this is very easy to exploit. And so the idea here is vulnerable people, your, your faith, your, your religion should move you to care for them. Why? Because vulnerable people are so close to the heart of God. And they always have been. Read through the scriptures from beginning to end. There's all this stuff about orphans and widows and foreigners. Vulnerable people are close to the heart of God. 
When God established the people of Israel to be his people, he rescues them out of slavery. He says, I will be your God, you will be my people, and he puts them in the land of Israel so that when other nations interact with them, the goal was that they might get a glimpse of what God is like. When God established his people, he gave them this mission of caring for vulnerable people. But they didn't always do a great job with it. Uh, Question, why did God send his people into exile? Why did God allow his people to be conquered and exiled? Well, the answer we usually give is, well, they weren't faithful to him. I mean, they they were worshiping these other gods or bowing down to the idols of neighboring nations. And that is true, but that's only part of the story. A significant reason why God sent his people into exile has to do with something else, what we're talking about right now. We see this in the prophet Isaiah. Listen to these words, God speaking to his people through his prophet. He says, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. It's so challenging, so direct. Okay, what is it that they're doing wrong? What is it that they need to do right? Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the case of the fatherless. Take up, plead the case of the widow, right there. Fatherless, widow, orphans and widows, vulnerable people. Why did God send his people Israel into exile? Well, a big reason was because they were not taking care of vulnerable people. And it really angered God because vulnerable people are close to the heart of God. We see this in the person of Jesus. Throughout the gospel accounts, Jesus moves toward the marginalized and the oppressed. He loves children. He interacts with vulnerable women. Jesus demonstrates to us how vulnerable people are close to the heart of God. Now, the same should be true of us because we are the church of Jesus Christ. We have been given this mission, this calling of caring for vulnerable people. And so this calling influences a lot of our activity as a church. And so let me just share with you some of the things that we are a part of, some of the local ministries that we support, some of the ways that we encourage people to serve so that we as a church can help care for vulnerable people. We support ministries like Safe Haven, which is a wonderful ministry that serves women and children who are fleeing domestic violence. It's just very sad situation, but I am grateful as a church that we can help support vulnerable women and children in this place. Another ministry we uh, support is Degage, ministry downtown in the city, and their focus is on serving women who are experiencing homelessness, who are in very vulnerable space. Another ministry we support is uh, Pregnancy Resource Center, PRC. And they uh, serve and specialize in helping uh, women who are experiencing a crisis pregnancy and their unborn children, both of which are incredibly vulnerable, both of which are so close to the heart of God. And so we, we give away a lot of money to ministries like this so that we can help support and uh, care for vulnerable people. 
But it's not just, we, we don't just wanna give away money, give away resources, we wanna serve also. Which is why a bunch of you serve in a ministry called Hand to Hand. Hand to Hand provides take-home meals for elementary school kids who, uh, when they go home on the weekends, they don't get a lot of food. Some of them don't get hardly any at all. And so we, we send them home with this package of food. And uh, right now, through all the volunteering that's happening uh, through Ada Bible Church, we're providing a take-home meal for 682 kids every week. That's like a whole elementary school. That is awesome to serve vulnerable children in that way. And I know a bunch more of you also serve uh, with Kids Hope, which is a mentoring program where you go into the elementary school once a week and build a relationship with a specific kid, a vulnerable kid, and just invest in them and mentor them week after week after week. It's incredible. I'm so grateful that many of you are a part of that. These are some of the ways that we as a church want to care for vulnerable people. Why? Because it's close to God's heart, and a relationship with Jesus should lead to this kind of activity. So that's us as a church. Let's talk about us as individuals. Let's talk about us as individual Jesus followers. Let me, let me ask you a question that we ask quite a lot around here. And it's just the question, who are you looking out for? I'm just talking individually, each one of us, or, or perhaps families, who are you looking out for in this season? Who in your life is vulnerable and could use a little extra care? Is there a single parent in your world struggling to make ends meet? that you could come alongside and support? Who, who are you looking out for? Uh, those of you who are students, is there somebody in your school who's relationally vulnerable, don't have a lot of friends, marginalized, made fun of? What would it look like to come alongside them in friendship? Is there a widow in your neighborhood? Is there a widow in your extended family? Is there somebody vulnerable in your life? Who are you looking out for? And I also just want to take a moment and offer a word of encouragement because I know that for some of you, this whole question, who are you looking out for, it's like a full-time gig for you. Because uh, you've got an aging parent, uh, you've got a parent uh, that's dealing with a health issue, and, and this is, you become like a primary caregiver. Some of you have stepped up and become foster parents. Some of you have adopted a child into your, you, you have invited a vulnerable child to be a part of your family. Now, some of you have a child with special needs. All I'm saying is for some of us, this is like a full-time gig. This is all the time. And I recognize that there are days where it's just incredibly hard and just overwhelming and exhausting. And I just want to tell you, what you are doing is so close to the heart of God. And when you serve in this way, you are reflecting his heart. You are reflecting his character in your world. And I just think he's so proud of you. And so I would encourage you, stay strong, keep serving, because this honors your creator. So real religion it, it should change some things. It should change how you talk. It should change uh, who you care about and who you're looking out for. And there's one other challenge that James has for us. 
But uh, do you remember when I said that James sometimes can be like a spiritual punch to the gut? This would be the one. <laughs> so just kind of buckle up. Uh, this, could, this could be a little challenging. This could um, make you think about some stuff. Uh, but this last area is um, real religion will lead us. Well, we'll ask us the question, who leads us? It should change who leads us. So let's see what James has in mind here. Back to uh, his letter. Same verse we've been unpacking. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James says, look, real, real faith expression is going to cause you to do something, to put in a lot of effort to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. What does that mean? Well, to understand what kind of pollution we're trying to avoid, we have to define world. What does James mean when he says the world? Uh, I would say it's not this right here. It's not planet Earth. It's not this physical world. It's not God's creation because God has said that his creation is good. In fact, God sent his son Jesus into the world not only to rescue human beings and to restore us to God, but to restore his creation as well. If you read the final chapters of the Bible, final chapters of the book of Revelation, you will see how in the end, heaven comes crashing into earth and God restores his creation. It's the restoration of all things. No, this physical world is good and God loves it and he will restore it. And so we're not talking about avoiding the world as in physical bad, spiritual good, as in just endure this life because someday we'll go to heaven. No, that's not what he means. So what is the pollution that he's talking about? Well, let me give you a definition. This is, this is how I think when biblical writers talk about the world, this is often what they mean right here. The world, we're talking about beliefs and ways of living that go against God. So it's not the physical world, it's not the people of the world, it's, it's maybe the moral world, it's like culture, it's the beliefs and ways of living that go against who God is and the life he has called us to. And what James is saying is avoid being polluted by that. And I just want to submit to you that this is incredibly challenging for us because to keep James' uh, image We've been drinking the polluted waters of the world our entire lives. And sometimes we don't even realize how the world is polluting us. And so, so what does this look like? What, what do we need to do? Let's, let's look at some examples. I got three examples. I'm going to try to move through this quickly. Uh, differences between, you might say, the word of the world and the word of God. Okay? So uh, the first one just has to do with truth. The world has a definition for truth. And the world would say, you know, truth, I mean, it's up to you. You define truth. And we have a phrase, it's, you know, it's my truth. And so that's how the world would talk about this idea of truth. It's, it's really up to you, but that's not how God defines truth in the scriptures. The words of Jesus, uh, John 14, 6, Jesus said this, I am the way and the truth and the life. In other words, God is saying, look, I define truth. Truth is 
derived from God's character in what he has said. And so the, the challenge here, the tension here is the world would say, no, you decide. And God's going, that's not how it works. And so you have to avoid that pollution. So that's truth. Here's another one, happiness. Uh, the world, now, now this I think is particularly challenging for us in American culture. Because in American culture, happiness, it's really, I'm happy when I get what I want. <laughs> it's like when I have that, then I'll be happy. When I get to this, when I achieve that, when my bank account is this, when my beloved Michigan Wolverines win the national title, then I will be happy. Okay, for that last one, there is a, just a little bit of truth to it. But you, you, you feel what I mean. That this is what happiness, this is how it's defined in our culture and by the world. But again, words of Jesus. He said this to his disciples. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in the abundance of of possessions. It's like he's saying, look, what you have is not going to be what makes you happy. Money does not make you happy. God is just telling us there is a different definition for happiness than what the world offers. And you're going to have to choose so that you're not polluted by this. Uh, one last one, and this would be the challenging one, uh, sexuality. Our world has a way of defining sexuality, and it's kind of similar to truth. It's kind of like, well, you decide. Well, you know, sex is just a physical act to be experienced however and with whoever you want. It's really up to you to decide your own sexuality. And again, there, there's just a tension here because that is not how God talks about the gift that he has given of our sexuality. And we could point to all kinds of scriptures, but uh, here's one from the book of Hebrews where we read marriage should be honored by all. So it's very clear God has given the gift of sex in the context of marriage and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Sexually immoral is kind of a catchphrase for like every sexual expression and activity outside of God's design. And so again, my point is like, there's the world's definition and then there's uh, essentially God's definition. And James is going, don't get polluted by the world. You have to make a choice. And really the, the word here is authority. Because the question, who, who leads us? It's really a question of authority. Who decides what is right for you? Is it you? Is it what culture's saying? Or is it God? and what he has said. That's really the question. Now, there is a, uh, there's something that we often feel here, and maybe you're feeling it right now. And essentially, it's like, well, why does God care so much? I mean, to put it this way, like, why is God so bossy? <laughs> like, why is it like, this is the way I said it has to be, now you have to do it. Like, why is God like this? You know, there are all these different areas of our lives. What's the deal? I think this is an important question. Because unless we really get this and feel comfortable with this, we're always going to feel this tension of, ah, God's just making me do something I don't want to do. And I think James gives us an incredible image, and we've already talked about it. Keep yourselves from being polluted. Pollution is bad for you. <laughs> I mean, those of you who are parents, if you knew your kids were drinking polluted water, would you do anything about it? <laughs> 
Yes, of course you would, because you love your kids. And I think the fundamental reason that God gives us rules or commands is because he loves us. He knows how the world works because he created it and he's trying to protect us. And so it's not like a, this is what I said, do what I say. It's no, I love you and this is the best way for you. So please listen to me and obey my words. I mean, just an example, one example from the three we looked at around sexuality. Paul, the apostle Paul wrote these words. Uh, from uh, 1 Corinthians. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Again, all behavior outside of God's design. All other sins a person commits are outside of their body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. It's like, this will hurt you. And I know that so many of us just know this at like a gut level because we have experienced it because we took this gift outside of God's design and it burned us, it hurt us, it was damaging. And so God is going, look, the reason why is because it is good for you. This is the gift and this is where it's meant to be experienced. So it's a question of authority. Who leads us? James is saying, look, real religion, it should change who calls the shots in your life. So final verse from James, uh, this is James 1.21. This is going to lead us to, I think, an important question for us to wrestle with. He says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent. He's talking about the ways of the world. And here it is, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. It's like, in humility, accept God's word as the guiding force, as the leadership in your life. Get rid of the ways of the world and humbly invite God to lead you. That's what it's about. And so the challenging question based on those words is simply this, what do you need to get rid of? James says the moral filth, you know, evil that's so prevalent. Just let's take that out and let's just, what do you need to get rid of? Just like this. Therefore, get rid of what is it? Therefore, get rid of and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. If the world is beliefs that go against God, is there something you've been believing about yourself, about life? It, it just does not line up with scripture. If the world is ways of living that goes against God, is there a, a, a behavior that you've been pursuing that just, it just goes against who God is? What do you need to get rid of? Humbly accept the leadership and voice of God in your life. This is what real religion will lead you to. So let's wrap this up. Conversation about religion. Are you religious? What does it mean to be religious? Basically, we've just said, look, religion is how you express your faith. And so James has given us three challenges, three ways that religion should change you, how we talk, who we care about, and who leads us. And I would just encourage you, pay attention to what you say this week. 
quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, and, and uh, be on the lookout for people in your life who are in vulnerable space. Who, who needs a little extra care this week? And then the big one, the challenging one, who leads us? Is there something that needs to go, something you need to get rid of as you humbly accept God's word in your life? Uh, two, two things as we uh, wrap up. First off, we launched a podcast uh, in connection with this series. It'll hit on Wednesdays. It's called the Beyond the Weekend Podcast. It's an opportunity to continue the conversation around the sermon. Love for you to check it out. Also, you can submit a question. If there's something today that you're like, I don't get it, I don't disagree, or I disagree, adabible.info, this weekend you could submit a question. And then lastly, um, there will be leaders down front here and in all of our spaces. Uh, if you'd like somebody to pray for you, uh, if, if you just need a conversation, maybe there's some things you want to unpack, uh, I would invite you after the service, come forward. We would love to talk with you and pray for you. And speaking of prayer, let me pray and then we'll close out. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful uh, for who you are, grateful for this time that we can open your scriptures because your scriptures reveal, they reveal truth. They reveal uh, us. We see the reality of ourselves when we look at your scriptures. And most importantly, your scriptures reveal you. They show us who you are and what you are like. And God, you are incredible. You're so good. And so God, we just want to tell you that we love you. We're so grateful for you. We honor you. And we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.